With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to our new Wednesday show, The Rest of the West. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Matthew Stanley at Bolt Fan in Denver on Twitter, and my co-host Michael. What's going on, guys? It's Michael Peterson again. You can find me at Zone Tracks on the Twitter sphere. And our show, Rest of the West, will be a weekly show on Wednesdays where we will talk about the rest of the AFC West. We we kind of looked around and saw that there was kind of a gap in coverage, uh, keeping everybody up to date with the rest of the AFC West. And uh, if if you guys are like me, you know, you probably don't want to go listen to like a Chiefs podcast or a Raiders podcast or a Broncos podcast, because obviously they're going to hype up their own team and just talk crap about the Chargers the whole time. So uh, we are here to fill you in. And uh, obviously this week it's a little more relevant than than most of the weeks because the Chargers played the Chiefs this week. So uh, on weeks where we play the other teams in the AFC West, we're going to start out with a little bit of a game recap because uh, obviously, you know, the other team, one of the other teams was one of those AFC West teams. So, uh, Michael, why don't you go ahead and start it off and and start giving us some of your thoughts on the game? Man, I... Uh... I actually got tasked with writing the uh, the recap for the game. And if you guys don't know what that's like, or if you've ever written a recap for any sort of sports game, you kind of write it during the game. And when anything significant happens, you you type it up real quick. And so when the actual game is over, you throw on the uh, the beginning, the introduction, you, then you throw on the conclusion and and you're able to put it in right away. But 
for this game, man, um, as much as I wanted to to write a very unbiased, you know, professional article, it was so tough because first there was the punt return, second there was the long slant to Tyree Kill. And when the score became 14-3 within the first five minutes of the game, it was so hard not to just start typing my real feelings about the game, you know, and as a fan, uh, that's tough to just do a very unbiased <laughs> trying to keep a professional article. So, um, but in general, the game obviously wasn't what we thought or hoped it was going to be sky high expectations. Um, you, you know, you can't have the highs without the low lows. So, uh, with sky high expectations, we had bottom of the barrel, low, 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 uh, emotions and feelings about the game. Um, honestly, Andy Reed just, outcoached the hell out of the chargers he's been a mad genius when he has plenty of time to prepare for a team and he had an entire offseason to figure out this year's chargers and what he did realize is that the defense was pretty much the same old chargers and he exploited them through and through utilized his players with their best traits whether it's tyreek hill and anthony thomas and their speed whether it's pat mahomes rocket arm he knew the weaknesses in and out of the defense and just exploited the living crap out of them. Um, the game was obviously closer than it probably was really 38, 28, you know, again, it could have been a one score game could have been even closer. If uh, Caleb Sturgis would have made that field goal at the end, but it is what it is. And unfortunately we didn't get to walk away with uh, that real big first win over the chiefs in, in four years to start uh, what should be a promising 2018 season. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of a double whammy because even though the Raiders also lost, and obviously we'll get to the Raiders here in a little bit, the Chargers' loss was to a division opponent. So the Chargers are now sitting at the bottom of the AFC West after the first week, and obviously it's still early. But yeah, that was a pretty embarrassing loss for the Chargers, mostly just because it was so obvious that they got just completely outcoached. Uh, the Chargers did not have a good game plan on offense or defense. I mean, when you look at this Chiefs' defense, they are just, you know, um, they're, they're ripe for the picking in the secondary. They don't have a good corners. Their safeties are, are, are only okay. And, I mean, Rivers did throw for 424 yards, but, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he easily could have gone over 500. Not, I mean, the, the Chargers wide receivers dropped a bunch, but the game plan just I thought was it, it wasn't great. I mean, the only, reason, the only reason they actually did pass as much as they did is because they were playing from behind so, off, so much. At the beginning of the game, it was really obvious that they wanted to try and heavily feature the run because it was back to the old Ken Wisenhunt special of, you know, mm. mixing in a lot of runs on first down, a lot of runs on second down, and then trying to make up the, uh, make up the first down on third down with a long pass. So <clears throat> I, I just didn't think the offensive game plan was good, and the defensive game plan was even worse. I, <clears throat> Gus Bradley has the worst habit of trying to cover wide receivers out of the slot with a linebacker and then trying to throw safety help over the top. And when that linebacker is Kyle Emanuel and that safety over the top is Jaleel Adai, Tyreek Hill is going to be open nine out of 10 times. It's just, it, it's a recipe. It was a recipe for failure. And Andy Reid knew it was coming because Gus Bradley's been doing it for years. I mean, when I was tweeting, I, I was in control of the Bolts from the Blue Twitter account during the game. And when I mentioned that, that Gus had uh, linebackers covering the the slot wide receiver, which was Tyreek Hill a lot. I had Jaguars fans jumping in my mentions, just basically saying like, thank God he's not our problem anymore. And yeah, that sounds about right. 
because this has just been his MO since he's been a defensive coordinator. That's just what he does. And so because it's so obvious, good coaches like Andy Reid are able to take advantage of it. So, I mean, this was a very beatable Chiefs team, in my opinion, with what the Chargers have talent-wise. And they just simply got outcoached. And then, uh, like, reason 1A they lost is uh, they got outcoached. And reason 1B is they just, they too many people didn't do their jobs. No, and you're definitely correct. And uh, really, really stressing the uh, the concept that Andy Reid truly outcoached Anthony Lynn and his staff in this entire game is the fact that the Chiefs didn't need their best players to win this game. Uh, obviously, Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes went off and, and both had a hell of a game. But you look at the rest of their weapons because they do have a plethora of weapons on offense. You look at Travis Kelsey. He had one catch for six yards. You look at Sammy Watkins, who they went and got this offseason to be a nice complimentary receiver for Tyreek Hill from a former first round pick. Kind of had a little bit of a resurgence with the Los Angeles Rams last year. They picked him up and he only had three catches for, I think, 44 yards or something. No, along no, those it, was, lines. it was only 21 yards. Okay, 21 yards. I don't know where I'm getting that number possibly, but uh, I knew that was kind of high anyway. So let's call it 21 yards. Okay, not much at all. And then you have Kareem Hunt, who was kind of the bane of the Chargers' existence when they played the Chiefs last last season in their two matchups. He rushed for over 300-plus yards. He caught some balls through the air, and he was almost a one-man wrecking crew against the Chargers. Kareem Hunt only carried the Rock 16 times, or he carried the Rock 16 times for only, I think, believe it was 43 yards or 46 yards um, which is phenomenal when you think about the how the Chargers run defense was looked down upon as one of the worst units in the league. And it is still, I believe, one of the worst units in the league, but it did show some improvement. Um, I think it's one of the, the bigger silver linings that a lot of people aren't talking about, but maybe it's because they didn't need the run to beat us. But again, um, to my main point, the, their best players were not used one of their best players was used essentially and that's almost all they needed i mean for crying out loud deanthony thomas scored a touchdown deanthony thomas was this amazing college football player and he even got a score in on this game i mean the scores came from every other way you could possibly imagine but none of the ways that we expected really is simple how the chargers lost they got out coached and they didn't there was too many people that didn't perform so I mean, I, it, what's nice is it's early in the season. Um, y- yes, we haven't seen these coaches have the ability to make, uh, you know, m- massive game plan changes or adjustments, but the opportunity is there for coaching adjustments to happen. And the opportunity is there for these players to step up and actually do their jobs. So luckily that, you know, this embarrassing loss, hopefully it was kind of like a smack in the face uh, mm-hmm. to the team and wake them up and wake up this coaching staff and hopefully everyone now i mean anthony lynn's whole big thing when he came to the team was accountability holding holding himself accountable holding the players accountable well hopefully there's a lot of accountability being passed out in the meeting rooms early this week and starting tomorrow at practice they can start fixing this because um if they can get the ship righted in a hurry they still have a really good shot to win the afc west and go to the playoffs but there are some things that need corrected right away, or this is going to get off course really fast. Yeah, and you're exactly right. It is still far too early to make all the assumptions in the world that uh, Chargers fans would want to make right now. Um, there's still so much time for things to happen, and a lot of crazier things have happened. Um, 
in the last couple of years. So uh, before we head on to the Broncos uh, section of this real question, uh, right quick. Um, do you think Joy Bosa would have had an impact on this game enough so that maybe it may have changed the outcome or just talk about what do you think probably would have changed if Bosa did suit up against the Chiefs? So I think one thing Bosa does really well is so I think two things he brings would have made a pretty big impact in this game. One, uh, he plays with pretty good awareness. Uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good at setting the edge and he keeps his eyes upfield. Um, and so I think he would have been able to contain Patrick Mahomes a little better because even on the couple of plays where they did get some pressure, uh, Patrick Mahomes was able to move well, uh, keep his eyes downfield and, you know, and make a pass, make a play. Um, I think that that would have been lessened. Um, and two is uh, Melvin Ingram uh, basically got reverted back to his old Mr. Almost self where he didn't quite make any real plays. I mean, he got some pressures and he definitely kind of impacted the game a little bit, but he didn't have any splash plays. He didn't come away with a sack. Um, and it's because he was the only real threat on that defensive line for the whole game. If you add Joey Bosa in there, the, the offensive line has a lot more to worry about. Um, and maybe Melvin Ingram gets freed up for an, a, a sack or two in there and, and makes a difference. Uh, and, you know, and I also think Joey would have been really big on um, creating a little more havoc in the backfield faster so that some of these read option plays, some of these triple option plays wouldn't have time for the options to, you know, get, you know, get fully investigated, basically. So, like, they wouldn't have had time to <clears throat> run that triple option four times, four different ways and and, you know get two scores off of basically the same play. Um, so yeah, I, th I think he would have impacted the game. Do I think it would have been enough to win? I'm not, I don't think so. I, I like, I think they probably would have been one touchdown closer to winning, but the, the coaching uh, from the coaching act aspect, the game plan on the chief side was just much better. And Joey Bosa playing isn't going to make Travis Benjamin and Tyra Williams catch those passes. No, and I definitely agree. Um, Joy Bosa is just one man, and uh, one man does not a team make. But I think it's, you know, it'd be naive to think that he wouldn't have had some sort of an impact. And we talked about it um, on our Saturday show on the Almost Game Day podcast that without Joy Bosa, the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line is able to shift over and max protect and give extra help to that side to handle Ingram. Um, because Rochelle, honestly, Although he's made some strides, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs right tackle, Mitchell Schwartz, is a very good right tackle. He doesn't get a lot of publicity, um, and he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he knows how to do his job well. And if you think about it, um, what we really missed, because I don't know if you noticed it during the game at all or during your rewatch, but uh, when Joy Bosa is playing, Gus Bradley can do a lot of cool things with the defensive line, and especially when he lines Melvin Ingram and Bosa up on the same side to really overload and give uh one half of the line fits to um well, honestly it's just it's been one of the biggest things that he does to get uh pressure and sacks and to devise crazy crazy schemes um i don't think he did that with rochelle at all because rochelle just is nowhere near that type of player um but yeah you're totally correct bosa would have had an impact possibly in a lot of their mesh situations the triple options the read options and stuff that they would have done um there's no way rochelle is as strong as bosa 
And uh, I don't know about speed. I don't think it's as fast as Bosa either way, but just I think there would have been a lot more pressure coming from that left side of the defensive line if Bosa would have played. And we all know what real pressure can do to some quarterbacks in terms of forcing errant throws, um, you know, with both ends working off each other, pressuring one into the other, that sort of thing. So, no, you're very right. Um, but let's uh, let's stop this here and move on to the Broncos before we get carried away a little bit more. Um, the Broncos were visited by the Seattle Seahawks and won 27-24. Um, a couple surprising things about this game. Um, Royce Freeman, the rookie running back out of Oregon, was thought to be the bell cow back. He had an extremely promising preseason. I think he scored three touchdowns in the four games that he did participate in. Um, but the crazy thing was he rushed for the same amount of yards and got the same amount of carries as Philip Lindsay, who was an undrafted free agent running back out of local University of Colorado Boulder. And Devontae Booker, who was named the starter by John Elway uh, to start the regular season, received one carry. So in terms of that Denver backfield, Stanley, what do you make of that? So Philip Lindsay was he was kind of a favorite here um, in the preseason. Um, he he earned big points, A, not only by, you know, performing well, well enough to make the roster, but B, um, he was kind of... Uh, he kind of got a little respect from here in Denver when he, it was announced that he made the roster. He actually called Terrell Davis to ask permission to wear number 30. Um, and so Terrell gave him the permission and, and tweeted it out online saying like, you know, thanks for asking. Definitely. You can wear the number, blah, blah, blah. So um, he was kind of a fan favorite, but yeah, he's good. Like he, he's a, he's a good receiver out of the backfield too. Um, he actually had a 29 yard touchdown reception uh, in the game. Um, and yeah, he's, he's going to be a weapon from them. They, they've got a good little two headed monster there in Royce Freeman and, and Philip Lindsay. No, you're definitely correct. Um, just looking at the receiving numbers, um, their obvious receivers, Sanders, Thomas, they all got their stuff. Um, Cam Sutton, uh, the rookie out of SMU also had two catches for 45 yards, but yeah, Philip Lindsay had two catches, uh, 31 yards and a touchdown, including that 29 yard catch and run. Uh, for the score so um what do you think going forward in terms of his backfield what do you expect do you think philip Lindsay continues to get the workload do you think maybe it was a game um sort of flow thing that got him uh, as many carries and touches or do you think they really like philip Lindsay that much to the point where it's kind of split between him and royce freeman i think it's going to be pretty evenly split um i think they bring they bring very different things um and i think Kind of like it, it kind of like how the Chargers um, use Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. Um, they're going to find ways to get them on the field at the same time, and they're going to find ways to get them both the ball uh, as much as possible. So I think we're definitely going to continue to see a pretty heavy rotation in their backfield, um, especially while Case Keenum continues to get used to this offense. Um, they need to give him as much help as possible. So keeping keeping the most productive and best players on the field as much as possible um, is the right thing to do. All right. And just to fix myself earlier, I noted that Devontae Booker had one carry. He actually had two carries, but for only four yards and uh, two catches for 11 yards in the passing game. But still, um, it looks like he is the odd man out in that Denver backfield. Um, but going to the other part of the offense, Case Keenum, uh, we just talked about settling into this offense. He had a pretty up and down stat line. Um, looking at it right now, 25 of 39 for 329 yards, three touchdowns, but he threw three interceptions. Now, I didn't watch this game personally. Um, it was on one of the TVs 
um, in the room I was in, but I was obviously paying attention to a few other games, you know, according to fantasy and, and watching some of my guys, but um, pretty up and down looking at Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas is two top targets. They were targeted combined 21 times. They caught uh, Sanders caught 10 of those 11 for 135 and a touchdown. Demarius Thomas caught six of his 10 for 63 and a touchdown. So it looks like Case Keenum, you know, signs the three interceptions. It looks like he's getting comfortable. It looks like he has a good rapport with his two uh, wide receivers. And it looks like these wideouts have a consistent quarterback for the first time since uh, Peyton Manning was, you know, wearing the blue and orange. So uh, how do you look at this receiving core uh, in Case Keenum in general in his first year, his first game? So uh, Keenum did pretty well. Um, he, he two of his interceptions came in the first half, um, and the third interception actually came at kind of a kind of a crappy time for the Broncos. Uh, Von Miller had just made a fantastic play to strip the ball away um, from Chris Carson on the Seahawks. He 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 stole it from him. He literally just ran it behind him and ripped it out of his hands and started running back the other way. Uh, and then on the very next play, Case Keenum throws this interception. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that wasn't great, but it, it looks like he does trust these wide receivers. He's getting some good timing going with them. Um, he's, he's basically, I think he's going to continue to get better, um, as the year goes on and he's probably going to be the most reliable quarterback they've had in, in a couple seasons now. Um, so that's obviously not ideal, uh, for the chargers, but, uh, uh you know, obviously three interceptions in one game. He is still prone to make some mistakes and that offensive line, excuse me, sorry, that offensive line still isn't, um, you know, fully up to speed. They've got some weaknesses that can be exploited, especially if Joey Bose is back. So um, I think the key here is going to be getting pressure on Case Keenum um, and just hoping, you know, forcing him to make a mistake. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Yeah, and uh, I think with Keenum being a competent quarterback again for uh, what used to be one of, if not the most dangerous receiving core in the league. I mean, when Peyton Manning was throwing these guys the ball, uh, guys like Demarius Thomas and, and Sanders were like must-haves in fantasy football. You wanted these guys. And hell, even when Eric Decker um, was with the Broncos, I had him one year in fantasy. I had him the year where he caught four touchdowns in a game. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, obviously, Decker is retired. He's been with a couple teams since. But Sanders is still there. Uh, Demarius Thomas is still there. And Cam Sutton... It is Cam Sutton, right? Do you recall? I, I don't know why I'm having such a brain fart, yeah. but all of a sudden I'm like confused because uh, yeah, well, Cam Cor Sutton. Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton. Oh, excuse me. I think Cam Sutton is a whole other uh, prospect, so I apologize. It's uh, it's very late as we're recording this. I wanted to make sure I got that right. Uh, definitely wasn't sounding right when I was saying, but Cortland Sutton, um, he was a big, tall, physical receiver out of SMU, and they also have Deshaun Hamilton, and although Deshaun Hamilton, I don't know if he played too much. He didn't record a catch, but... Hamilton was one of the best receivers in Mobile during the Senior Bowl week. 
And a lot of guys around, you know, draft Twitter and on social media had all the good things to say about Deshaun Hamilton. So um, if Deshaun Hamilton comes in and Hamilton is definitely a hard worker. He, uh, he was the one who actually made the block that sprung Philip Lindsay for that touchdown That's on right. that 29 yard catch and run. That was all Deshaun Hamilton blocking downfield. And it, it was, it was a really good block for a wide receiver. So, yeah, there you go. And in terms of uh, wide receivers actually being able to block, sometimes that can make all the difference. Uh, it would be, you know, between, you know, all right gains in big, big plays. So um, I guess the point I was getting towards is if Keenum can continue to stay competent and all of a sudden Sanders, Thomas, and, and Sutton start to resemble the receiving core that were we were used to seeing, you know, in 2015 and 14 with the sheriff still there. Um, it could spell trouble for the matchups this year against Denver. Um, I know last time we we faced Denver, we it was a historical shutout, 21-0. I think we were um, we were at home, correct? The Chargers were at home. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So home may have played a role, but still, the last time uh, the Chargers faced Denver. We shut them out. So I'm still kind of riding that high. But in general, uh, this group looks dangerous. If Keenum can reel back the interceptions, absolutely, absolutely something to uh, watch out for. But going on to the other side of the ball for the Broncos, Vaughn Miller had three sacks and that really cool strip of Chris Carson that you just talked about a little bit earlier. I've seen videos after videos of that, which also was reminiscent of the way Khalil Mack ripped the ball out of Deshaun Kaiser's hands. It was almost the same exact thing. Um, Vaughn was incredible. And I think we're finally watching Vaughn might be in his prime as, you know, a dominant elite player in the prime of his game. This is what it looks like. Vaughn had three sacks. What do you think of Vaughn? I thought it was fantastic. He forced two fumbles. He had three sacks. He had seven tackles overall. Uh, he was just all over the field. Um, and what's what's really concerning as a Chargers fan is the fact that um, some of the biggest question marks about the Broncos this year is how is the defense going to do? Because they lost some big names. They they lost to Keeb Tlaib. And, the, you know, they're still trying to figure things out with their defensive coaching staff. And so... What's concerning is despite those things, their defense came out and really performed. They they held the Seahawks to only 306 total yards, uh, total net yards. Uh, they had two interceptions. They forced three fumbles. I mean, this was a defense that was shutting down the Seahawks offense. Um, so, you know, the, they didn't do great in, in scoring defense wise. They obviously they allowed 24 points, but. Uh, this was a defense that was making plays. They were making, they were forcing turnovers and um, they're only going to continue to get better, especially as, as the rookie uh, as Bradley Chubb gets better. I mean, he had a half sack. Um, and so as he gets more snaps and gets more comfortable, um, they're just going to get more and more dangerous. Yes, I agree. Um, they lost some vaunted members of that no fly zone that they had for the last couple of years prior to last season. Um, Talib's gone, but they replace some of those guys with younger stars. Uh, Darian Stewart, Chris Harris is still there. Uh, some people still view him as a top five corner. Um, but Justin Simmons is a young guy who's really come on and he had one of those two interceptions. So um, Simmons, one guy to keep your eye on who looks like he's butting into another really, really good defensive back. But Pac-Man Jones had the other <laughs> interception for the Denver Broncos and Pac-Man Jones is one of those guys that I honestly forgot was still in the league 
or you know how you remember people are still people you kind of forget that they like they even exist pac-man jones was that guy for me when i when i went back to look over the stats and uh how the seattle denver game wins i saw a jones with an interception and in my head i went who is this dude and then i click on him and it's adam jones and i go you've got to be kidding me so I know it was kind of a big deal when he went over to the Broncos from the Bengals uh, in free agency, but I just didn't expect him to have much of an impact. Nonetheless, have an interception on the f- in, or in the first game. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, Adam Jones, still a thing. Um, moving on, we might as well get on to the Raiders, who ended up getting... I wouldn't say demolished. Demolished is the word I kept using because I felt I just really wanted it to happen after everything Gruden's done and the direction that he seems to be taking the Raiders. I thought demolished was the right word, um, but it had they had me on the ropes. I was a little afraid. I mean, uh, Oakland came out very strong against the Rams, but ultimately ended up losing all that momentum before uh, the second half and ended up losing. I believe it was 33. Three thirty, yeah, thirty-three thirteen, I believe, was the score. Um, and man, started hot, but again, lost it all. Uh, penalties, penalties, penalties. Eleven for one fifty-five. So no matter how good they were playing, uh, the Raiders inevitably couldn't get out of their own way. A lot of people on Twitter were were comparing them to the Chargers. You know, hashtag Chargering. That's what the Raiders were doing. Um, can't blame them. You know, uh, we're used to it. You're used to it. Um, also had three turnovers to Ram zero. So not the best start for Gruden and the Raiders. Um, tell me your thoughts on the game. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I I hope this is, you know, the status quo for how things are going to go with this John Gruden coached team. Um, obviously, you know, you, you look at as when you look at the box score, um, and you see the quarter by quarter scoring, you can definitely see the tail of um, two different coaching staffs. So they both scored a touchdown in the first quarter. In the second quarter, uh, it, the Raiders outscored the Rams six to three. And then halftime happens and they go into the locker room and John Gruden and his staff don't really do much of anything. But Sean McVay and his good coaching staff, they go back there and they make some adjustments. And then after halftime, the Rams put up 10 points in the third quarter to the Raiders zero. And then they put up 13 more points in the fourth quarter to the, to the Raiders second goose egg. So the, the Rams come out and score 23 points in the second half alone to the Raiders zero. So it like it much like what happened to the Chargers, the Raiders got out coached. I also think, though, that. In this case, the Raiders also have a severe talent deficiency compared to the Rams. The Rams have a ton of good players. I mean, Jared Goff, I think, is a better quarterback than Derek Carr. Todd Gurley is the probably the best running back in the league. Uh, and when you compare him to, across the aisle to, to Marshawn Lynch, you know, there's not really competition there. And then the receiving the receiving core is much better. Uh, the offensive line is probably not. That's probably the one area where the Raiders had a bit of an advantage is the Raiders offensive line is very good. But then on defense, it's it's no competition. The, the Raiders do not have that good of a defense, especially when considering that John Gruden just did the best trade that for the Chargers that didn't have involve the Chargers I've ever seen uh, trading Khalil Mack away to the uh, Chicago Bears it was just, they were just outmatched. Um, and I think everybody who predicted the 
Raiders to be a bottom five team in the league this year are going to get proven right. I, I just don't see a team that's going to win more than four, maybe five games this year. Yeah, I think that's a good benchmark for the Raiders uh, this year in terms of, of wins, four or five. Um, I'll probably take a look at the schedule just to, to get a better idea. But no, you're right. Um, four or five wins sounds just right. Um, let's look specifically at the offense um, and then even more specifically, Derek Carr. A uh, little up and down. Um, it was up, down, up, and then it just kind of kept going down. Uh, he made some good throws. Um, usually they were only to Jared Cook, but when the Raiders went on several good drives, uh, it seemed like they were finally getting some momentum, trying to flip the script a little bit. Derek Carr seemed to make some really, really bonehead mistakes. Uh, if I remember right, he had one of his, I believe, three interceptions. I'll double check that stat for you guys. But yeah, it was three. He threw, he threw one almost directly to uh rams linebacker his last name is littleton i've never heard of this guy before he was one of their starters um but nonetheless it looked like derek and it was an empty pocket or clean pocket by the way uh there were videos today i was watching uh multiple people were putting up videos about how derek carr would sit in these completely clean pockets and just want to throw the ball away for some reason and one of those happened to go right into the hands of a rams linebacker um absolute drive killers i mean i would have been so so depressed and frustrated with Derek carr as a quarterback because he really did i think he single-handedly killed two or three drives um just not looking the best you know that that mvp season or like oh not excuse me not an mvp season but i mean he was kind of up for it he was having a hell of a year uh in 2016 but last year and then beginning of this year in his first game man that seems like it was so long ago but it does, Let's and he he's he's ahead. definitely he's definitely checking down a lot and looking for those safety net options underneath. I mean, when you look at the stat line, uh, Jared Jared Cook, their tight end, had nine uh, had nine catches for 180 yards. He was their leading receiver, so their leading receiver was their tight end. Then also with nine catches was a running back. The most catches that they had by a wide receiver was Jordy Nelson had three catches for 23 yards they didn't have another wide receiver with more than one catch in fact looking at the stat line they only had out of the one two three four five six they had nine targets to wide receivers yep and out of the eight players who caught passes only three of them were wide receivers so i mean i'm all for spreading the ball around (laughs) i think that's a good strategy but Mm -hmm. when you only have five catches go to wide receivers out of your 29 completions that's not a good day that's that's a reason that that tells me that Derek Carr was playing scared and just checking down underneath and that that's not you're not going to win when that happens you're not going to win when you only complete five of 29 passes to wide receivers so I you know it looks like even though the the Raiders are ahead of the Chargers in the division right now because of the fact that they lost to a, an uh, NFC opponent rather than an AFC West opponent, the the Raiders are a really bad team right now, and uh, I'm I, you know I'm pretty confident the Chargers can pull out two wins against the Raiders this year. Yeah, I believe so too. Um, going back to Derek Carr and his throwing uh, tendencies, I mean the Rams they got to keep Talib, they got Marcus Peters. You'd like to think the Rams, excuse me, the Raiders have two very good wide receivers in Jordy Nelson and Amari Cooper. 
Um, but they look good on paper. They look a lot better on paper than they really are. Jordy Nelson's obviously um, enough over the age of 30 to be kind of on the back hill of things, the back nine. With Amari Cooper, struggled with the drops last year. He looked like he came into training camp in this season in much better shape. Looked like he gained some weight as well. Um, looked like a very intimidating receiver. But again, one catch for nine yards for Cooper. Um, three catches for 23 yards for Jordy Nelson. I mean, the Rams just did it to him. Uh, it was a ton of, it was a tight end funneling defense um, for Jared Cook. I mean, the, the the one weak position group on the Rams are their linebackers. And Jared Cook, um, I believe, has always been a better athlete than he has been a complete tight end, but really took advantage of this matchup. Um, not sure if it's sustainable, but um, still might be a bright spot for the Raiders and their offense, knowing they have a capable tight end. But I think uh, his stat line is more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? circumstantial than um what you could really expect going forward um but let's go back to the the defense real quick kind of uh before we wrap this whole thing up um they miss khalil mack you know it's it's the greatest thing to see greatest trade for the chargers not involving a chargers player you're very correct when you say all that stuff there was no pass rush and john gruden mentioned that in his uh post-game conference uh, there was no pass rush. They couldn't get to Jared Goff. They couldn't do anything. Bruce Irvin could only do so much. They have two young defensive tackles that have a ton of potential in Maurice Hurst and PJ Hall. And if you recall, Maurice Hurst was arguably the best interior defensive lineman in this past year's draft class that fell to the fifth round due to a heart condition that scared a lot of teams away. PJ Hall, on the other hand, was a Division One AA defensive tackle who blocked 14 kicks in his career, which is an absolutely insane stat for an interior defensive lineman. He's also over 300 pounds and reportedly ran a 476 40 yard dash at his pro day. So regardless if they're going to make an impact this season, Gruden did a good job of getting some really good pieces for the future of this defense. But I still think trading Khalil Mack was by far the worst thing he could have done uh, for the defense in the short term and long term. I completely agree. I mean, he was probably the he I mean, the top three defensive players in the division were Von Miller, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. And now Khalil Mack is gone. So that makes the Chargers life easier. Now, the Chargers had done a very good job uh, containing Khalil Mack in the past. Um, I think they had only ever allowed one sack from Khalil Mack since he's been on the Raiders. Uh, but regardless, I mean, he, you know, he's probably good to, to f will them to a win at least once a year, uh, just by creating such crazy splash plays. Um, and he made their whole defense better. And so, um, you know, anytime a player like that leaves the division, it's going to be a good thing for your team. So, I'm glad he's gone. Um, I'm glad that they made such a poor trade. I mean, sending over the extra second round pick uh, with him just, you know, it boggles my mind still. I just, I don't understand what they were doing. Um, but regardless, he's gone and the Raiders are a worse team for it. And so I'm, I'm all here for that. We are all here for that. All right, guys. Well, that about right, wraps well, up our coverage. Oh, you want to take this, Stanley? Do you want to do this? Well, I mean, you've been talking a lot this episode, you know, I, I yeah, well, you get to I, open I, up. The I want to say some stuff. All right. <laughs> okay. Next week, I'll let you open up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in. Um, it's late on Tuesday night. Uh, Michael and I are both going to go to bed now. 
and uh, we'll push this out. Uh, you guys will be listening to this today on Wednesday. So we will talk to you guys again on Saturday before the Chargers game on Sunday against the Bills. Hopefully a bounce back. I mean, even though the Bills are at home, the Chargers opening line is their seven and a half point favorites this week in Buffalo. So hopefully the Chargers can uh, use this as a, you know, a bounce back game. It's kind of like when, when Alabama schedules those games against like Alabama technical farm college or whoever they play. Tennessee Chattanooga. Yeah. So hopefully the Chargers can get their, get their crap together and bounce back. Um, but yeah, thanks again for listening. Oh, and uh, I forgot to mention, um, I did create a Twitter account for this show as well so that you can ask us specific questions about the other AFC West teams. Um, that account is at rest of the West. Um, so go ahead and go follow us over there. We'll be posting episode links on that Twitter account. And uh, that's, like I said, that's where you can ask us questions for this Wednesday show. So we will see you guys again Saturday. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.